What's good, family? We know you're enjoying today's episode of New New Magodcast with none other than Norman Brown, the professor. But we had to interrupt briefly to tell you about Norman's latest book. Recently, with all that's been happening with the pandemic, many have had questions. And in May 2020, Norman was hospitalized for nine days with COVID-19. When he came out of the hospital, he came out with a powerful testimony of how God saved him from death and his inspiration to write his newest book, Covert COVID-19, An Attack on Kingdom Agendas. Now, in this book, he shares his personal story of how he was attacked by the spirit that causes this virus as he declared war while he was writing this book, but he overcame it through faith, prayer, and fasting. In the book, he shares the revelation that God gave him about how this virus affected and exposed certain things about the church at large, which are necessary for believers to understand what's going on and this new thing God is doing in the earth. His book is available for download today on Amazon, so get your copy today. Hey everyone, this is George A. Wood, and you are listening to New Numa Godcast with my man Norman, where he brings it raw and real. Check him out here. He's always got the next best conversation going on, but he has it raw and real for you here. Check him out. What's good, New Numa fam? I'm your host, Norm the Professor, a.k.a. Norman Brown. Welcome to the podcast where you come to get the real from a biblical perspective. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'd like to personally welcome you and want to let you know a little about what you may expect. I attack the raw issues affecting the church and the world at large today, giving you biblical backup for everything I say. Basically, this podcast gets in your face with issues that are trending, taboo, and tough to talk about, which today's watered-down churches don't even touch. I also interview Christians of all types of backgrounds, careers, ministries, and more to put on record their stories of redemption, salvation, and victory to inspire you to walk out your kingdom purpose to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. If you want the truth, this is definitely a podcast you want to hear. So get your spiritual ears ready to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Peace. What's good, family? This is Norman, a.k.a. Norm the Professor, your host. What's poppin', man? Listen, we about to get into something that's really interesting and really important for us to understand as believers. And you're going to see as we go along why that is. Now, the subject that we're going to be talking about today is something that, you know, I've heard different people have different types of theories on it or whatever you want to call it. But the one thing that I have not seen is consistency throughout the body of Christ. You know, that's one thing I'm really getting tired of. (laughs) I'm so tired of people having their opinions of what the Bible says and what it means and things of that nature because things are just spelled out for us to see. We should be able to look in there and say, this is what it is. And the reason why we know that's what it is because this is what the Bible says at this particular verse, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, these things should be very straightforward. But for whatever reason, they're not. And because of that, 
we had to keep on going back and looking at all these different things to try to figure out, okay, where's the breakdown? Why is it that there is this, you know, difference of opinions about what God is saying and what God meant when he did certain things? I don't understand why people can read the same book and still get different understandings of it. Now, it's one thing if you say, okay, I um, I'm reading about apples. And uh, I believe that the pigment of the apple comes from the the sun's rays when it comes down onto the tree. And it reflects off of the cells of the apple itself. Okay, that's one thing. And then another person might say, well, I believe it's because internally they produce uh, certain types of cells and whatever types of chemicals that cause the red pigment or the green pigment or whatever. But it's a totally different thing if I say, I believe it's because apples flew from out of space and they hit the earth at a speed of 136 seconds per meter or something, meters per second. Rather. And uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm being silly, but the point is, is that that's where I see how the body of Christ has been on so many important subjects, things that are so important to understand that it's like, how could you, of all the things to be inconsistent with, why are you inconsistent on this? Why is there such disagreement on things that should be the most important things to be in agreement on? Well, today, uh, I feel like this is definitely one of those top 10 subjects that is like that in the in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, I'm not happy about that. I'm not, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to say that. But unfortunately, that is the way things are. And um, and I look at it like this, you know, what better way to discredit what's true by causing there to be all this division and and separation among those groups, those groups of people that claim to be um, living the truth. So Satan has caused all kinds of disagreements, arguments, division, separation, all kinds of things to cause the body of Christ to not um, be in congruency with one another when it comes to very important subjects. Now. As it relates to um, God being sovereign and in control, I just got to, I got to always go to my, I have a go-to scripture that I call my, this is my old faithful, so to speak, my old faithful scripture, because it's the, it's the one scripture where everything is set off. Now, I'm not going to read every verse that I could read. Okay. So don't even think that this is going to be like in depth as far as, you know, going into every single verse that I could find in the Bible. I picked out certain verses because I feel like they definitely point to what we're talking about. And I feel like they're the things that actually bring to light what it is that we're going to be getting into and delving into. And these are things that's going to hit the points pretty quickly. That's that's the way I like to do it. I like to get to the point really quickly or as quick as possible 
without missing out on important information. Now, I'm going to tell you that we're probably going to have uh, at least two to three uh, episodes that's going to cover this subject. And this is going to be the first one. We're going to kind of lay a foundation in this one. And then we'll get further into it as we go along. Now, um, so this particular scripture that I want to start with is the one that, as far as I'm concerned, is the one all Christians should know off the top of their head by heart. And it's just the where it's where everything should start with them. The book of Genesis is called Genesis for a begin for a reason. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of when God started all that he did in the earth that was significant to us. Now, if we look at it, okay, it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So if God created the heaven and the earth, where was he? <laughs> I love answering. I, I love asking questions like that. If God created heaven and earth, where was he? Because he had to be somewhere when he created it. So right now, I'm going to tell you that uh, heaven, that word heaven, and I'm, I'm, I'm always going to default to the King James Version using the Strong's Concordance. And I recommend that if you're studying the Bible, that you do the same. Um, there are only a few actual versions of the Bible that have a concordance that goes along with them. But this is what I call my old faithful. I've been studying it since I was born, <laughs> pretty much. And um, so, okay. So this word used for heaven is, it says, the second form being dual of an unused singular from an unused root, meaning to be lofty. The sky as aloft, the dual perhaps alluding to the visible arch in which the clouds move, as well as to the higher ether where the celestial bodies revolve. So it can, um, it looks like it can be combined with air. It can also be combined with um, astrologer, it says. So, or heaven. So, the one thing that we want to see here is that we are talking about a place, a location. That location is not where God dwells, okay? This is just talking about what, what we call heaven or the sky. And, and um, while, you know, as human beings, we call it the sky. So in other words, in the beginning, God created the earth and the sky. Now, why is that important to kind of know that? Because think about it. Inside the, the envelope of the earth, which is partly the sky as well as the, the land, we are divided from space, which has no gravity which has no oxygen or any other kind of elements out there that's just floating around. It's just a vacuum of nothingness. 
that sense. So with that being said, we on earth are in a different atmosphere than what's in heaven based or what's in um, space, what we call space, based on the sky, which is called heaven here in the book of Genesis chapter one, verse one. Okay, so I just wanted to make that clear what that is. That's not the place where God dwells and he sits on the throne. I just wanted to make that clear. Okay, now, going down, we're going to go down to verse 26, where it really all begins. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. Now, that's a very, uh, those are some very, important words to hear as we start this study. But the main thing that I want to focus back on is what he said in verse 26. What did he say in verse 26? God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now, these things right here are very, very important to the rest of our study. I like to ask people questions to make them think about what we're talking about. And in this situation, there's something very key that we need to point out. And that is the fact that God said, let them have dominion over all the earth. Now, this is interesting because, this is very interesting because we could look at it in several different ways. Uh, first of all, God. Okay, so let's just let's look at it like this. If I'm a father, I well, I am a father, but let's just say, as a father, if I own a house and I tell my son, "Hey, I'm giving you control of your room. Everything in here is yours. It's your domain. It's whatever you want it to look like." Whatever you want to do, as long as it's not destroying my house. 
you are free to do it. I'm just now I'm just using this as an example. So if I go in his room one day and I see that he has drawn some words on he he wrote some words on the wall and he's saying, you know, whatever, I love me or something like that. I'm just gonna make that up, right? Um, or I come in another day, he's painted the wall. One wall he's painted, you know, blue, the other he painted uh, black, and the other two he left alone. Okay, so that's what he wanted to it wanted it to look like. Okay, then I come in there, and I say, um, now there are some rules. Now the rules are, don't destroy my house. You can do anything you want to do in there and with the room as long as you're not destroying the house and thus messing up the value of the house. And essentially, when God spoke to Adam, he told him something like that in the Garden of Eden. So the Bible says that he took the man that he made and he placed him in the garden. Now, when he did that, he gave him instructions. So this is what it says. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. This is, this is further instructions in, a, in, a, in addition to what he's already said. Because he told them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, all these kind of things. But now he's going to give even more detailed instructions. So in Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 6, he says, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'm not going to get into these other verses. I'm going to get down to what he said about the trees. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Notice who was taking care of the garden. Is it God doing it, doing anything? No, it is the man. If the man didn't dress and keep it, what was it going to look like? It was going to look like any other jungle or woods or whatever you could go to where no person has been out there taking care of it and trying to make it look pretty. It was going to look like a big old mess of things all together. That's what it was going to look like. So with that being said, we already are starting to see a precedence here that will continue throughout as we continue throughout this study. Now, the Lord says here, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So I'm going to stop there. The thing that we see here that's made very clear is that God gave a command to the man. And this is the thing. We see where God said, let them have dominion of the earth. All the earth. He gave man the he gave man the rule of the whole earth. But with that rule, he still had boundaries that he, that he had to stay within. The boundary that he had was only to not eat of the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that's really interesting that he said that. For a lot of reasons. Now I say that because. We have several things going on here. We see that God has given. Essentially. Uh, car blanche. Dominion. But even though he gave him car blanche dominion. He still gave him a restriction. But what is the only restriction that God gave man. He said, just don't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing that he was saying not to do. And I believe that when we look at the fact that Adam ate of that tree and Eve also, that that was obviously the start of the struggles that every person on this planet has. Every person on this planet now has the struggle of not going beyond what God said is okay to do. Because now when you have the knowledge of evil, then you act out on the evil that most attracts you. And that's the whole reason. That is at least part of the reason why God did not want men to know evil. He did not want man to have the knowledge of evil. See, evil existed. So we got to know evil existed. And that's a whole other discussion about how did it exist. We're not getting into that right now. We're going to just talk about God being in control. So the thing that is very clear in this in this verse is that man had a choice from day one. His choice was be obedient or disobey me. Those are only two ways it goes. You either obey me or don't. And within the obedience, the obedience was something very simple. And within that, there was still a level of control that man had and still has. So one of the things that we see in this in this passage is that there are many things that have come along with 
the choice that Adam and Eve made to eat that fruit. Many things came along with that. Many, many struggles and many heartaches, pain, all types of things like that came with that. So now I want to go into something that uh, is going to be the start of this subject, really, really getting into the meat of it. And it comes, um, it comes in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12. Now, this is why sometimes I rather use the original King James Version rather than these Bibles and basic English and all that kind of stuff that's supposed to help people understand it better. I'll still read it in that version, maybe, but I want to start out with the King James Version. So... Genesis chapter 18, verse 12 says, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old or become old, shall I have pleasure? That word is Eden, by the way. Shall I have Eden, my Lord, which actually is the word um, sovereign, So that word sovereign is the first time this word sovereign was used. And it means it's from an unused root, meaning to rule. That is controller, human or divine. So it's the word that becomes, uh, it's, it's, it's used partly in the word Adonai in the Hebrew. But the word here is Adon, so, you know, or, yeah, so if you have Adon or Adon, then that's Adonai. The point I'm making is this word was used in reference to a husband. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is going to bring up something really interesting, isn't it? Especially for women who are feminists. Women who think that, you know, uh, things are a certain way um, as far as based on what America has done or whatever westernized society you come from. I just want to make it very clear that there is nothing uh, belittling about that statement, nothing belittling about being a wife, nothing belittling about being in a certain role in a marriage. No more than there's something belittling about a woman being able to have a child and a man cannot have a child. What would be belittling about that? If I said, if I was a woman and I said to a man, you will never understand because you can never have a child. Is that supposed to hurt me? Is that supposed to be belittling to me? It shouldn't be because my body is not created to have a child. 
So why would I be feeling belittled by that statement? No more than a woman should be belittled by the fact that she's told, hey, you'll never be able to handle as much work as me because my body was created for this, not yours. How can she feel belittled by that? Everything on this planet, including us as humans, has a specific purpose for our bodies, for the way that we were created, the gender we were created. All of us have a specific purpose. All of us have specific roles. You cannot get away from roles. I don't care if you're trying to change the game and say, hey, you know, uh, I feel like men should, you know, do all the cooking or something like that. I mean, come on. I'm sorry, but uh, most men on this planet are not going to just become cooks because you decided that you're going to fight against the way it's been for so many centuries on this planet. You're not going to change society just because you don't like that. Okay? Not only that, but, you know, the thing is, is that <laughs> it's certain people on this planet and we kind of see it when we look at shows like the Gordon Ramsay's Master Chef or Hell's Kitchen or whatever type of shows he has out there. And then we see a guy, uh, I can't remember his last name, but um, he's the guy that, you know, has a sauce and then he does dives, diners and dine-ins or drive-thrus or something like that. Anyway, um, these guys are known for being chefs. And great chefs at that. And, you know, I've even heard where I've heard Italians say the best cooks are the men, are Italian men. So anyway, the point is, is that that's not a thing to be feeling like, oh, I'm beneath somebody because I'm cooking the food and they don't cook. That's nothing. It's nothing to that that should be belittling of any for any reason. If anything. Being the cook should be the most important thing because everybody needs to eat to live. So that's a very important job. If someone was not in the house that could cook, then what would that mean for your family? There's a lot of things we could go to with that. I'm not going in that direction. The point I want to make is that this is the first use of the word sovereign. This word means sovereign. And it was used about a husband. That right there should already be flipping the script on what people think about when they say God is in control. Because in that situation, she clearly was looking at her husband as being in control. And she was not speaking of God as being in control. That was not a diss to God. That was that was something that showed a a truth that most people in the body of Christ, I would say, are still struggling with. Especially if they're in a, a Western society, Westernized society, Westernized country. Now, that was uh, the first occurrence of that word. That word occurs. 
335 times in the, in the whole Old Testament. Now, the next word that we see that is uh, interpreted, well, is coming from a word that means a sovereign is the word um, is Basilius Basilius anyway let me let me show you the verse where it's found it's found in Matthew chapter 1 verse 6 and Jesse begat David the Basilius it means king it's translated as king and David the Basilius the sovereign begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. So here we see that word, a word that means sovereign, it actually is used to talk about David, the King David. I think that you know, one thing that I didn't do, which I normally would do, and I'm going to go ahead and do that now, we need to get into the definition of sovereign, um, because I think that that's going to clear up a lot of things right now. So, the, the word sovereign means a supreme ruler, especially a monarch. And then... Okay. So this is the Oxford language definition. So I looked up, what does it mean to be sovereign? And it comes up with this Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. It says, one possessing or held to possess supreme political power or sovereignty. One that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. An acknowledged leader. Now, let's, let's talk about this because... This is interesting how it breaks that down because the part that really got me was when it said supreme political power or sovereignty. If I'm sovereign, I am one I am one who possesses supreme political power or sovereignty. And I am one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. What is the limited sphere that God gave himself? God did not once say, I will do whatever I want to do within the earth. He said, let them have dominion over the earth. So when he gave us dominion, 
that means we were to dominate. So now this is where we can get into, well, what does that really mean about dominion? That's a really good point. What does that mean? So the word dominion, let them have dominion. It's the word that means to tread down. That is subjugate specifically to crumble off, prevail against, to reign, to rule, to take. So when we think about that word as compared to the word sovereign, what we just read about the, the definition of it, let's think about it like this. God is sovereign from the point of he has the ultimate supreme power and political in the political arena, so to speak. And he has ultimate authority within a limited sphere. But what is his limited sphere? The limited sphere is just like if you look at the king of England, he's a king, but only in England. And he only has authority within England. Doesn't matter what country he goes to outside of England, he cannot exercise authority outside of that realm that England covers. So he is only sovereign within his realm. What is the realm of God? The realm of God is the spirit, the spirit realm. What is the realm of man? The physical realm. In the physical realm, on this planet Earth, we have dominion. We are sovereign as people created in his image and likeness. But in the spirit realm, God has, he's sovereign. He's, he's got the dominion and power and all those things. We see this in the book of Job. In Job, we have a very interesting situation that we don't see anywhere else in the Bible, the way that we see it here, we see something that kind of somewhat gives us a clue, but it's not like it was here. In Job chapter one, we see in uh, verse six, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. Now we already see if Satan came among them, he was not a son. It says sons of God presented themselves, but Satan came also. So Satan is not a son. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou or where are you coming from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. That word eschew means to turn off. He turns evil off. He withdraws away from it means to withdraw to be without 
to call back, to decline, to depart. So he departs from evil. He declines evil. He withdraws from evil. He turns evil off. We see a lot of things that he does, that that word means rather. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for naught? Is there no reason specifically that he feel he fears God? And then that word that's used there for naught, it is the word um, gratis. Well, it's not the word gratis, but it actually means it's kinom, which in here they use gratis, which is actually the Spanish word for free. Gratis. That is devoid of cost. There is no cost. And then it says reason or advantage. Devoid of cost, reason or advantage. Without a cause, cost or wages. Cause less to cost nothing. So in other words, does Job fear God for nothing? Is there not a reason why God Job fears you? Have you have have not you made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, notice what's happening here. Satan had to go get permission from God. God is speaking to him in the spirit realm, giving him permission to do what he's doing. So what does that show us? That shows us that when it comes to the spiritual side of things, God controls that. When it comes to the natural side of things, we control that. Because clearly here, if it wasn't for God giving command or uh, rather permission to Satan, Satan could not have touched Job. He was not touching Job. God already had a protection hedge around him where he could not touch him. So it's interesting to see in that scripture how God allowed Satan to do what he did. And then he gave him boundaries to which he could not go beyond. Those things are very interesting to note. The thing that we're seeing here is that when it comes to things of the spirit, God does have control in that arena. God never said <clears throat> that man had dominion over heaven or that he had dominion over the spirit realm. But man does have dominion over the earth, which means that certain things that could happen in the earth, man can stop it from happening. There are certain things, though, that God has prophesied. And when God has had it prophesied through people, those things are going to come to pass because that is his will. And his will will be accomplished in the earth. Just like it says in Isaiah. And, you know, we're going to get into this more later. But I just want to say this 
and then um, we're going to stop from for here for right now, rather, um, and pick back up on this in our next episode. But in Isaiah, it says something very key. And if I remember correctly, it's Isaiah 55. Okay, so yeah. So I start at verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not there, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall not return to me void. That's really interesting. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So, what do we get from that scripture? We're finding that God has, he has certain things that he's able to do. And he will accomplish in the earth. And he's able to do this because he ultimately is the um, final say in things on the earth. Specifically as it relates to the future, things that he wants to accomplish. You know, um, the Bible talks about how God puts up one and puts down another because promotion comes from above. It comes from the Lord. It does not come from the east, west, or the south. It comes from the Lord. So that's how we know. So those are things that we're going to keep in mind as we move forward. And these things will begin to start to answer the question. One of the things that we're going to bring out in the next uh, part of this series is the if-then principle that we find in the Bible. So that's going to be our next. That's, one, that's what we're going to talk about next. Now, before we get into that, there is one more thing I want to point out. This is also from, uh, there's two more verses in the Bible that I want to point out before we go. John chapter 4, verse 46 says, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. That word nobleman is actually coming from a word that is uh, basilikos. It also means regal in relation, that is literally belonging to or befitting the sovereign, so it belongs to the sovereign as land dress or courtier or figuratively preeminent so a nobleman or a royal in other words these are people who are within the service of a king so that's why he's called a nobleman 
So this would probably be the similar, the same as like a Dutch, I mean a Duke rather, a um, Earl or something like that. And even like, and you look in the England way of doing things, they had lords as well there. So these are all examples of how that looks. <clears throat> now the last verse that I'm going to go to. Oh, and that word nobleman was the word that was translated as um, it, it means befitting or belonging to the sovereign. So now the last word is this word uh, pentacrator. Pentacrator. And this word is found in Second Corinthians chapter six verse eighteen for the first time, the first time it shows up. But this word means the all ruling, that is God as absolute and universal sovereign, omnipotent. So it says, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That word almighty is the word Pantocrator. And that's the word that means all ruling as absolute God, as absolute and, and universal sovereign. So I just wanted to, you know, point out these scripture references as we're moving forward um, to the next, you know, next uh, chapter of what we're going to be talking about. Basically, I think you're starting to get a picture of what's going on here. And, uh, and it's going to get better and it's going to bring more understanding and more clarity to you as we continue in this. So thank you for being with me again. You know who that is. It's your boy, Norman. This is another episode of New Numa Godcast. Make sure you stay tuned. Keep it locked here on New Numa Godcast on all your platforms that you're on. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Follow us on um, all the social media platforms. And you can follow me personally at Norm the Professor on uh, Instagram. And make sure you also uh, get on the email list as new.numa.podcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please get on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and an inspirational comment to show people why they should tune in and, and become part of the new Numa fam. We appreciate you, appreciate all of you uh, listening, supporting in every way you do. Thank you again for listening to New Numa Godcast. Peace. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.